District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. I'm going to be publishing an excerpt from my exclusive interview with Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who is the 43rd Attorney General of Missouri and a candidate for U.S. Senate running in the Republican primary. Eric Schmidt is a lifelong sixth-generation Missourian. He is driven by his constitutional conservative beliefs, which he applies every day as a lawyer for all six million Missourians. He is a proven over and over again. He will boldly defend the rule of law. Previously, Missourians elected Eric as their 46th state treasurer. For serving as treasurer, he was elected twice to represent the state's 15th Senate district as a Missouri senator, where he authored two of the largest tax cut in state history, championed landmark legislation to end the unjust practice of taxation by citation, and was a staunch defender of life in the Second Amendment. And we spoke more at length about conservation. I wanted to get his thoughts on hunting, fishing, talking about Missouri's conservation legacy and heritage, and I think you'll see a different side to him for those of you from Missouri. But I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. Stay tuned for the full video coming out on YouTube this Friday and a write-up that'll precede the YouTube video at townhall.com, breaking down and kind of contextualizing our full conversation. We talked about a lot of subjects, but here you're going to hear about his thoughts on gun rights, conservation, and energy and environment. Enjoy. This Supreme Court is supposed to hear the New York Rifle Pistol Association case, which would ultimately, if it goes in a lot of the favor that a lot of people are hoping in the Second Amendment space, it would overturn the last outstanding May issue laws to make it so Americans will have a vested right to carry outside the home, usually largely in a concealed fashion, not an open carry fashion, but that could be determined upon the states. But what are your hopes of that court case? Have you had any insight into the case recently? We don't know when it's going to come out, but what are your thoughts on that pistol case from New York? So that is another obviously very important case. Missouri, uh, our office, we've led that briefing actually in the New York pistol and rifle case. And um, we're very proud of that. And I think it stands for this very important proposition that you know, the founding of our republic is based on this idea that we're born with certain rights, right? They come from God and government is just our shared project to protect those rights. The Second Amendment uh, is meant to ensure that our right to defend ourselves is protected. It doesn't give us that right. We're born with that right. And so um, Missouri is a constitutional carry state. Actually, when I was in the state Senate, voted for that. Been um, obviously a big proponent of the Second Amendment. This case, as you, as you pointed out, stands for uh, this this May issue regime in New York that you actually have to prove to a bureaucrat that you are in danger or that you have some special circumstance that would allow you to carry a weapon to protect yourself or your family. And so uh, in the Heller decision about 15 years ago was it was a seminal case. It stood for an individual's right, you know, to protect themselves. Um, clarified a lot in the lower courts. You've seen some moving away from that of maybe that just exists inside the home and not outside the home. So this is a very important case to clarify that. Very hopeful about that. I think it's it's always hard to make these sort of predictions about what the Supreme Court may or may not do. But I think the fact that they didn't take any Second Amendment cases 
um, before Justice Barrett came on might lead you to believe that there weren't five votes for something like this. And now they believe they have five votes because it only takes four to take a case. And of course, it takes five to have a majority uh, view on it. So we're very hopeful that they, since they've taken the Second Amendment case, that we'll get a favorable outcome. Uh, Missouri has been very involved with that. I'm proud of our work on it. So we'll see. Much like Missouri, a lot of states have adopted constitutional carry into law. I think 25 states now stand to have the law or put it into effect once the summer hits. Could you explain so far what Missouri has seen? A lot of people, a lot of critics of constitutional carry say the implementation of the law will lead to a lot more crime, a lot more criminals committing acts involving guns. Could you respond to that charge? What has Missouri seen? Yeah, that's just not true. And it's proven not to be the case. I mean, you have law-abiding citizens that want to protect themselves and their families. And so that has always been a red herring. In fact, that was a red herring when Missouri adopted uh, concealed carry um, in the early 2000s, mid 2000s. That was the the, the claim. You, it was going to be a, you know, a shootout at the OK Corral in every town square. Uh, that was proven to be a, a falsehood and a lie. And constitutional carry has been the same. Again, it gets back to this fundamental question of people having the right uh, to defend themselves. And, um, you know, the government restricting that in a way of not allowing people to do that is unconstitutional. And so, yeah, Missouri is one of those states. Uh, I can't remember when we did it in 2016, what number state, I think we were just a number of a handful of states at the time in 2016 when we did it, move forward on it. But it's proven to be, um, you know, very important. And <clears throat> the real issue we have with crime Look, if gun control was the was the answer here, Chicago would be the safest city in the country. And it's not, by the way, it's incredibly dangerous. Um, so all those sorts of lies that have been out there are pointed out actually in our brief in the uh, in New York pistol and rifle case. So we sort of make this philosophical argument about where our rights come from. And you can date it back to the glorious revolution in England when these things started to be talked about and it carries over to our constitutional framework. Um, you talk about some of the statistics about crime rates and um, what the Second Amendment actually allows people to do, and people are safer in their communities because of it. So there's a lot in that briefing that kind of summarizes these issues. But uh, Missouri, the impact um, has been very positive and certainly not an uptick in crime because law-abiding citizens want to defend themselves. Interesting. Thank you for that. Also, Missouri, let's move over to kind of conservation and energy now, if you'll indulge me on these questions. The Show Me State is home to Bass Pro Shop. It's also home to the Ozarks and lots of other beautiful wild spaces. And it's represented by conservatives. What do you hope to do in terms of advancing conservation, which seems human input in natural resources management and also hunting, fishing, true conservation of the sort as positive contribution? So what do you hope to contribute on that front if you are to be elected to the Senate? Yeah, I mean, you nailed, you nailed it. Uh, having the perspective of being a Missourian, I mean, you, the, uh, um, the natural beauty of our state, the rivers and the streams and the fishing and the hunting and the wildlife is, uh, I'd put it up against uh, any state, it's certainly the, the lower 48 <laughs> um, of what you can um, um, learn and be a part of. And that tradition's passed down generation to generation. I'm an avid hunter and I love it. Missouri has a lot to offer there. And I think that's a perspective about, you know, being good stewards, right? I think that's very important. That's what conservation really means. And uh, I think you can do that, by the way, and also be an advocate for, you know, energy and energy independence. And those things aren't mutually exclusive. But uh, you're right. Missouri is a, a beautiful place. We've got a great tradition, um, whether it's on the conservation front or people enjoying 
Um, I mean, float trips are a big thing. And, and so there's so many rivers that feed into the into the Mississippi or into the Missouri River. Um, it's quite frankly why Missouri became the first state, save Louisiana, west of the Mississippi. It's where the rivers came together. There's a great story about the boot heel. If people look at a map, there's that boot heel in Missouri. Um, there was a guy by the name of John Walker who bought a bunch of land in that area after the New Madrid earthquake, which was a huge earthquake. But that area at the time was pretty much just swamp. And he bought it and Missouri was petitioning to be a state. He went to Congress to lobby for that area, which wasn't supposed to be in Missouri, to be in Missouri because he saw the opportunity, the rivers coming together. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful state with a lot of opportunity. And uh, I think that story of Walker getting the boot heel part of Missouri is emblematic of, of, of who we are as a state. It's a great place. That's fascinating. And do you have a favorite species you like to hunt or a fish you like to target? Um, I like, uh, you know, bass fishing's big here, obviously, and that's a lot of fun. I like pheasant hunting and duck hunting, you know, bird hunting is my, I, I deer hunt, um, being six, six at a deer stand is always, <laughs> is always a little bit, I love it, but it's different than the climate. I like getting out when you're pheasant hunting or quail hunting, you're walking, um, you're talking to friends, duck hunting, I mean, you've got the confluence here, right? Where the Missouri meets, uh, the Mississippi. It's one of the great flyways in the world, uh, if you're there in the right time of the year. So, uh, that's a lot of fun and get to do it with friends and family. And I think if I'm not mistaken, Missouri does have a burgeoning elk herd as well. Yeah. And that's, and, that's and really actually, cool to see. Yeah. Yep. And the black bear, uh, coming mm -hmm. back. So, uh, yeah, the conservation, uh, department, I think reintroduced elk is probably about 10 or 15 years ago now. And so you're starting to see a season, uh, exist. It's pretty limited, but I think it's neat. Yeah. And I actually wrote a story about how radical environmentalists were trying to ban black bear management after the uh, the assembly or the, the state legislature uh, voted to approve it, or rather the conservation department voted to approve it. And we've kind of seen that on the national scale too, about people trying to intervene with lawsuits. Do you hope to kind of uh, counter that if you were to go into Congress? Because I know that uh, Roy Blunt was actually really, really, I would say, uh, keyed in on Endangered Species Act reforms, making sure that wildlife conservation law wasn't misinterpreted. Do you hope to kind of bring that perspective to the Senate too, knowing what yeah, you know from, from the state? Yeah, Missouri, Missouri is uniquely situated in a number of ways on, on that front, and also from an, from an agricultural perspective, right? Missouri is very agriculturally diverse. I mentioned the boot heel. They can grow everything there, including rice and cotton and tobacco, except citrus. Uh, and <clears throat> one of the, I think, neat things about Missouri too is I had an attorney general ask me when I first became AG, uh, one of my colleagues said, so is Missouri a, a northern state or a southern state or a western state or a midwestern state? And I said, yes, because uh, all of that, all of those things are true. We came into the union as sort of this western frontier state. When my ancestors came over from Germany, Missouri was on the end of the map, right? It was as far west as you could go on the railroad stopped. Um, it's you know probably considered by most to be a midwestern state now, but it has you know the boot heels, you know very southern. Um, Southwest Missouri is a little bit more like Texas and Oklahoma. Northern Missouri looks a lot like Iowa, so it's agriculturally diverse. It's you know, hunting and fishing opportunities are are diverse, and I think you gain a lot of perspective from that, and certainly want to take it to what to DC. It would be good to have more hunters and anglers like yourself in this. <laughs> you guys can add some newfound perspective, but let's talk about energy. So obviously day one of Biden's administration, he's made a lot of his energy policies, very climate centric. 
He canceled the Keystone Pipeline. That's a very big component. But he also did a lot to kind of undercut the oil and gas leasing program and put a lot of policies into place. They're innumerable. If I read to you what they all were, I think we would take several hours to talk. (laughs) But he's done a lot of policies to kind of advance this preservationist kind of environmental policy where they really, really want to welcome top-down solutions, don't really have, let's say, private sector input. And it's going to come at a cost for all of us. And to transition away from fossil fuels, that's kind of what they want to do. But what has been your response to that? And what do you hope to push if you were to go into the Senate? What type of energy policies would you like to enact or help influence if you were to be able to be in such a position? Yeah, so Missouri has been right smack dab in the middle of these big, important fights on energy. Um, and uh, we're not a big energy producing state in that regard, but obviously as consumers of energy um, and the people that I represent, these, these price fluctuations and options, I mean, it's a real problem um, for, for middle-class Missourians, uh, the increases they're seeing, not just at the gas pump, by the way, right? But, but you know, natural gas costs and um, th- everything that ends up in the grocery store, right? That has to be transported from one place to the next. And so we're seeing these big inflationary pressures and it's a direct result of this disastrous Biden energy policy. As you said, he came in on day one and did a bunch of things, canceled the Keystone XL pipeline. He, he actually did something. Missouri was the first state to file on what's called the social cost of greenhouse gases rule. Mm-hmm. And it is, a lot of people don't know about it, but it's like the Green New Deal that nobody ever had to vote on. It's nuts. I mean, essentially John Kerry, the, the so-called climate czar and cabinet secretaries in about 60 days came together and projected and predicted like Nostradamus all of the future warfares and migration patterns due to climate change, hundreds of years into the future, they pull it back into real time, into present day value and tax and regulate manufacturing and agriculture. Um, it's, it's really, uh, it's a ma- it'll, it'll literally cost millions and millions of jobs, cost billions and billions of dollars out of our economy. And it's, uh, you know, it's just not based on, on science or any accuracy. It's just an agenda. It's a leftist agenda that, quite frankly, was rhetoric before, but now is a reality. And so we've sued on, you know, the, the leasing issue of the, the, the offshore, le- offshore leasing, leasing, the leasing on federal lands, uh, you name it, Missouri's right in the middle of those fights. And um, in some instances, we're winning and some, you know, we're going to have to continue to fight as each one of these rules come down from whether it's from transportation or the EPA. I did have a, I did have a, a farmer tell me in Northwest Missouri, several months ago, he's like, Eric, I don't ever remember voting for the deputy undersecretary of the EPA, Mm -hmm. right? But this person who nobody knows their name, but can issue a guidance letter in effect, I mean, Waters of the U.S. is a classic example of this, right? And they're bringing it back, which would Mm -hmm. really affect 98% of Missouri land. Um, And that, of course, was originally intended by Congress to deal with navigable waterways, right? Like the Missouri River, the Mississippi, not a dry creek, on somebody's farm hundreds of miles away from the Mississippi River. And um, so they've really lost their way. It's also emblematic, by the way, of the administrative state and how it's totally gone wild. One of the things that I wanna do in the Senate is really be a champion for dismantling the administrative state. It's gotten way too powerful. It's not accountable to anybody. If you think of the founder's vision, they very much understood um, ambition and accumulations of power and what tyrants tried to do. So the idea was you spread out power right through the checks and balances and separation of powers. No one branch or agency or person could ever get too powerful. And the reason for all that underlying all of it was to protect individual liberty. I don't think they could have envisioned 
Congress, the Article One branch, which is supposed to jealously guard its power, willingly ceding all of this to these agencies. And by the way, the con Congress has a, has a role to play in this and, and a lot to blame. They have been able to say for a long time, I voted for the greatest bill in the world, but I can't believe what the EPA did, or I can't believe what OSHA did. And we got to pull that back. And I think Congress ought to be voting on these things. I think Trump, Trump had a, President Trump had a two for one rule, right? Where if you're going to propose mm -hmm. one new rule, you had to pull back two. Well, Biden got rid of the, that on day one too. Let's make it statutory. And why, by the way, does it just need to be two for one? Make it 10 for one. Because not only are you going to pull back a lot of these regulations that don't make any sense, they'll probably be less willing to move forward with the one that new one in the first place. And so one of my missions and one, things I'm passionate about that often doesn't, it won't end up on the front page of newspapers is this administrative state. It's gotten way too powerful. You've seen it with the CDC. I mean, there's, there's example after example now. OSHA, again, we referenced that. Making sure for, forklifts beep when they back up, not forcing, you know, 80 million people to get a medical procedure. That's never was its charge, but they try to put an elephant into a mouse hole and uh, we got to we got to push back. Yeah, the administrative state is very overarching in energy and environment. And we do see that with what they're trying to put into place from the EPA to Department of Interior now. And it seems like it's caused a lot of confusion to regular people, and it seems to harken back to what was happening under the Obama administration. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to us on your preferred podcast player. We recommend Apple Podcasts, where over 60% of our listenership hails from. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, which don't really populate, but follow us on social media to make sure you never miss a beat or a guest announcement. You can also find us on CFAC's website under District of Conservation under my profile, Gabriella Hoffman, to catch up on all different past episodes there. If you like what you hear, be sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple or wherever podcasts are played. Share the links, leave your reviews, and tell your friends about the show. Thanks for listening today. Stay tuned for more District of Conservation episodes.